friend of mine was going to enter the family business at a future time. His relative, who was already in the business and started the business, knew this and wanted to make sure that my friend was trustworthy, faithful, loyal, and that he could resist temptation. And so he did something that I'm not sure <laughs> I can say that I've never heard done before by anyone else that I know, but he hired someone, uh, a, a woman of industry, we could say, um, to go solicit this young man, to tempt him to be unfaithful to his God and to, to make some bad mistakes. And praise the Lord, he said no. And he stood firm in the face of temptation. He resisted her advances, even though they were, he didn't realize the backstory behind this temptation. Uh, nevertheless, he today is um, a good guy, and he, he's working and uh, carrying on the family legacy. I share this because last week we started a sermon series through the book of James. And early on in these verses, we saw that trials will come. Today, James carries that on uh, from external trials now to internal temptations. And it's the same Greek word that's being used in, in both verses. Temptation and trials give us an opportunity. In this opportunity, we get to see what we're made of. God, the rest of the world, gets to see, are we going to continue to be faithful or will we fall with the trials? And as we discovered last week, God's intention, anytime trials come our way, is that they help make us better. That we become refined, that we get this endurance that helps us to, to take a horrible situation and find joy in the good that God is working in the bad situation. Find joy in the character development that God is working in our hearts. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles again to the, to the epistle, not the gospel, as I was <laughs> wanting to say. Again, the epistle of James. And we're going now to verse 9. James 1 Verse 9. We've been talking about trials, and so these verses now in, in 9 through 11 may seem like a bit of a, an abrupt subject change. James, in some ways, has been referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament because Proverbs will talk about one thing, and then it'll talk about another thing, and then, and then keep jumping around. In fact, James contains 108 verses total, and 54 of those have uh, imperatives, which are commands, instructions for us. So literally half of the verses have this teaching and encouragement and instruction command for us to follow, much like it does in Proverbs. But nevertheless, I think we'll see that there is actually a connection as we get into it. Look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother or the poor brother glory in his exaltation. We've been talking about trials, and now James talks about 
poor and he's going to talk about the rich. Probably the people in his day fell into one of those two categories. There probably wasn't much of a middle class, either the really rich or the really poor. And if you're poor, that's a trial in itself. But James flips it around just like he does with having joy in trials and circumstances. He says the lowly brother, the poor brother, can glory in his exaltation. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. There can be great blessings from not having too much stuff. It's a lot easier for us to trust in God when we can't trust in our riches because we have no riches. Verse 10, but the rich, they should glory in his humiliation because as a flower of the field, will, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flowers fail, its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. It can be a trial to be rich because, well, there's a lot of temptation when you have extra money, but also it's a trial because life is uncertain. Riches can be there one day and gone the next. And his counsel to those who are rich is to be humble because life is uncertain. So whether poor or whether rich, we need to keep in mind what sort of attitude we have. And then he comes back more directly to the topic of trials in verse 12. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. And it's the same Greek word that we saw previously in verse 3 and verse 4. Hupamane. That turning the trial into victory. <clears throat> blessed is the person who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life. We saw earlier, trials help give us endurance. And now we're saying, those who endure temptation will receive a crown of life. You know, the, the other trials that we have, the external trials of life, how we handle them helps prepare us for our internal trials. Right? If you are really good and disciplined about exercising your body and getting the exercise that you need, and you're good at pushing forward in your exercise even when you're tired, that's going to help translate into better success in resisting temptation. Um, in control of your appetite will help control in other areas of, uh, of life. Even just being on time for things that self-discipline will help carry over into other aspects of your life. There's a blessing when you endure temptation. And it says, for when he has been approved. And it's the Greek word there for dokimos. It's used in connection with money changers. You know, in the ancient world, they didn't have credit cards and checkbooks and electronic exchange of money. They didn't even have paper money. What they had was metal. They had coins that, that would be made, heated up so they became liquid, poured into a mold, and then you'd pull out the coins when it had cooled. But there'd be little edges that you, sharp parts you'd need to, to take off. But some people figured out 
you know, if I just skimmed off, shaved off a little bit of this coin as it's in circulation, as I have it, I can save all the shavings and pretty soon, if I do this enough, I'm going to have a new coin from the coins I shaved. And so there were these counterfeit coins, you might call them, that weren't of full value in the given weight. And in fact, in, in Athens, there were 80 laws passed in, in a century against these types of practices. So they were pretty pervasive, people that were trying to, to cheat the system a little bit. But there were certain money changers who said, no, I will not accept any currency that is not full value. And the person who, was, who said that, they were called dokimos. They were the person who said, no, I am not going to compromise. I am going to do only what's right. And so James takes that word. He says, the person who re resists temptation, they will be dokimos. They will be this money changer who says no to corruption. And then at the end of it, what do they get? They get the crown of life. You'll recall Revelation 2.10. Blessed is the person uh, who is faithful unto death, for they shall receive a crown of life. It helps you endure when you know that there's something good for you in the end. You're on that treadmill. You've promised yourself, if I can walk for an hour today, I'll have just a little treat. Not too big, just a little treat. It helps you endure when you know there's something good ahead. This crown of life, the Greek word stephanos, you've probably heard it before. We mention it in connection with the laurel wreaths that are made for the victors in the Olympics. By the way, wouldn't we be watching Olympics about now if it weren't for COVID? But hopefully, hopefully next year. Um, but you know, there were other connotations to the word stephanos in the ancient world. In fact, the Bible uses the word stephanos. If you look in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's used in other ways. There's the crown of joy, the stephanos, which was relating to a crown, sometimes with flowers in it that they would wear at weddings or at celebrations. So it's not just victory. It can also be a crown of joy. Also, Psalms 21.3, Jeremiah 13.18, it's a crown of royalty. Not just the diadem, but the stephanos, could be worn by those who were royal. Of course, it was a crown of victory, uh, 2 Timothy 4.18, but it was also a crown of honor and dignity. In the book of Proverbs, this Stephanos is mentioned, uh, Proverbs 1.9, Proverbs 4.9, wisdom gives a man a crown of glory. Or those who listen to their parents, get this, it's a crown of glory to them. Or when disaster strikes in Lamentations 4, it says that the crown has fallen from our heads when the glory is gone from us. So we're promised, James says, if we endure, if we get through these inner trials, at the end of it, we're going to get a crown, a Stephanos. But it's not just a crown of victory, it's also a crown of joy. Won't we have great joy when we enter into the kingdom of God? That's a, 
a time of celebration if there ever was one, a time of victory, uh, a time of royalty. Aren't we called, aren't we said that we will be called kings and priests unto God? We'll be royal and also a crown of honor and dignity. But of course, as you recall from Revelation, uh, as the saints did there, the 24 elders, they're constantly throwing their crowns down before Jesus. So you better get used to picking that crown up. It's like at graduations where they toss their cap and they have to find it afterwards. Uh, I don't know what it'll be like in heaven. But we, because of Jesus, can have great joy. As we endure, we can be royal. We can have the crown of victory and one of honor and dignity. When we're tempted, it's good to remember there's a reward at the end. And we know this intuitively. Um, we set aside, when we're trying to make health choices, we set aside the temptations because we're, we're looking forward to the better joy, the better joy of improved health. Or if you're a student, you're tempted to just play video games all day instead of study for your tests or do your homework. Um, because of the greater joy, the reward of passing your classes and having your parents be proud and learning and, and being able to, to get a good job, you ignore the temptation and you set yourself on a path to success. It's important for us as Christians, in the same way that we do that in other aspects of our life, to think about the the reward. Think about what we risk losing if we give in to the temptations of life and give it all up. As has been said before, heaven is cheap enough. Of course, heaven was bought for us by the blood of Jesus. But it's sad how easily people will disregard that for the trinkets of this world. So James says there's a blessing in enduring. And there's a reward for those who seek after God. Promised to those who love him. Now verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Isn't there that human tempt, uh, tem, tempt, temptation? I'm mixing temptation and tendency. It's a temptancy. <laughs> There's that tendency to try and pass the buck on to someone else. God, why are you doing this to me? Actually, who's the one doing it? Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The enemy is not some external enemy, but the inner me that longs in the unrepentant, unconverted state that longs for sin. We've got this civil war going on inside of us. In fact, some of the ancient Jewish writings talk about these two kind of natures and tendencies. The Yetzer Hatob the good tendency, 
and the yetzer hara, the evil tendency. Paul talks about that in Romans 7, this battle that's being waged within oneself. But it's interesting. It says, God doesn't tempt anyone. But God certainly does allow us to go through trials, and he does test us at times. And the great preacher Spurgeon wrote about it like this. He said, Satan tempts, God tries. But the same trial may be both a temptation and a trial. And it may be a trial from God's side and a temptation from Satan's side. Just as Job suffered from Satan, and it was a temptation, but he also suffered from God through Satan, and so to him, it was a trial. So God doesn't tempt us, but he certainly does at times test us and allow us to go through trials. And he wants to support us so that we come out of that approved. We come out of that victorious. We come out of it um, not having given in to these desires. Who tempts us? Well, mostly ourselves. Flip Wilson used to say, oh, the devil made me do it. Now, the devil can't force anyone to give up their free will, their power of choice. He can entice us, but more often than not, we do enough enticing of our own. Verse 14 again. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. It's like the, the fishing lure that draws the fish and causes them to go after it, and then they find out they've made a horrible mistake. Verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. There's these pregnancy metaphors that's being used here. Apparently, there's a gestation period for sin. It's not a sin to be tempted, but when we dwell and pause on that temptation, the gestation period begins, and if we're not careful, it gives birth to sin and ultimately to death. Too many times we find ourselves just pausing and, and saying, hmm, I wonder... I wonder what that would be like if I gave in to that temptation. And when you find yourself doing that, you are already on the path to sin. Don't stop to pause. That's why in other places in the Bible it says flee temptation. Don't crawl away hoping it will catch up to you. Flee. Run away. Pray to God in that moment. Distract yourself. Don't pause. Don't think about it. Don't let it implant itself. It will give birth to sin, and sin leads to death. James says, there is a reward. Think about the reward. I remember we met a, a lady on the street one time. She was really down and out. We were doing some witnessing uh, missionary work, and this lady had had a real struggle with drugs and alcohol in her life. But she said, you know, I keep this picture of my kids. And I keep it here. And when I'm tempted to go back to these things, I look at my kids and I think about them. This is what I have to lose if I go back 
into this old lifestyle. We need to have clear in our eyes a picture of Jesus, a picture of heaven, a picture of the glories that are ahead. As was sung earlier, the king is coming. There's nothing worth holding on to at risk of losing it all. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived by these temptations. Don't be deceived into thinking that God is the source of your temptations. God is the source of good. Look at verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. In fact, in the Greek, this is uh, very poetic. Uh, Very poetic there. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James says God is not the source of bad in our world. He's the source of all good. He may allow us to go through trials, but even that is to allow us to develop good in this bad world. To allow us to have joy as we overcome and and think about that crown of life and, and grow and develop our characters and use our experience as a means of helping and blessing others. God is the source of every good and perfect gift. The Father of lights. It says no shadow, no variation or shadow of turning. Even the sun, as bright as it is, we see it in the day and we don't see it at nighttime. Or we see it in the day and then the clouds obstruct our view of it. There's variation with how we receive light from the sun. The stars seem to twinkle in the sky. But the light of God, there's no variation. You know, we have bad days and good days. I'll be the first to admit, I get grumpy sometimes. I'm not trying to be grumpy, but it just happens. Wake up on the wrong side of the bed. First of all, God doesn't sleep. And if he did sleep, he wouldn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. There's no variation with him. It's always good. God is always on. He's always positive. He's always there for us. He's always loving us. He's not inconsistent. Never inconsistent. I remember I had some PT one time years ago. Years ago, and wonderful guy, but sometimes he'd get a little grumpy. My friend went to the same guy, and, you know, if it was a bad day, you just weren't sure if you wanted those specific neck manipulations done to you. Uh, And and we kind of joked about it a little bit, but there were definite days when Like all of us, we have good days and bad days. But God never has those bad days. No variation. He's the Father of lights. And the gifts that he gives us are always good, even if we don't perceive them as good at the time of their giving. And finally, verse 18. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. This is birth language. God brought us forth. We give birth to sin and death. God brings forth us by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. 
He brings us forth. Uh, now, speaking specifically to the believers, the early Christian believers, the first Christian believers, they were the first fruits. What are the first fruits? Well, they're the first fruit that you get from your tree. The first crops that you get from your harvest. The early harvest, which is just a sampling of what's to come. A much larger, more abundant version will follow, but this is like the sneak preview. I remember growing up, I liked to have a sneak preview of dinner. I was hungry and I'd ask my mom, can I, can I have some? Or, or when she would be baking cookies without eggs in them, I would get a sneak preview of the dough. And you knew, oh, the cookies that are coming are going to be amazing also. And there's a whole lot more of them. I did that more with my grandma. My mom, it was like biscuits. I'd get some of the dough. No egg, don't worry. And, uh, and it was fabulous. Or, or the crust. In fact, I've carried that into our marriage. <laughs> I like to have a little first fruits sometimes of the dinner. And so these early Christian believers, they were these first believers that were going to be the, the beginning of so many more of this new belief in Jesus. Of course, God had faithful believers all throughout history. But they were the first fruits. They were the sampling of the much bigger harvest. And so we have this harvest language as we wrap up our passage for today. There are trials that we're going to go through. External trials, internal trials, temptations we're going to face. But God is not the source of those temptations. He's the source of all good things. And he wants to get us through to the other side. One day he's going to come back to this world, not to be born as a baby, but to come back as a harvesting king to harvest all of his children whose hearts have responded to the call. I'm looking forward to that day. How about you? I want to be a part of those who, who receive that crown, whatever that looks like. The crown of joy, the crown of victory, the crown of, of, of uh, royalty, the crown of glory. I want to receive that crown and I want to cast it back down at Jesus' feet and say, this one's all you, Jesus. Thank you so much for everything. When we think about that glorious day, when we think about when he'll split the sky and descend to our world, doesn't it make the temptations that we face these days just seem really small? On that day, we'll look back on the things that we used to struggle with and we'd say, what is that in comparison with this? This is, that's nothing. I can't believe I ever used to be tempted by that when compared to the glory that is here. Friends, let's think about that day. Let's keep that day in front of us. Let's decide today and every day through Jesus' power to endure the trials and temptations and to let God bring good in our life and through our lives to others. Is that your desire? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that one day soon, when you return, there will be no more trials. 
No more temptation. Heaven will be just a complete lack of struggle, a complete lack of difficulties and, and saying no to bad things. We long for that day because our, our lives right now, we, we constantly have to resist. If it's not one thing, it's another. But Father, we want to say yes. We can't resist in our own power. We need your power. And as a good Father, the Father of lights who loves to give good gifts to your children, Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to encourage us, and to keep us going until that day. And on that day, Lord, we won't praise ourselves. We'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We're looking forward to that. We love you, and we'll see you soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a happy Sabbath, and we'll be seeing you soon. God bless.